In just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 9 as we continue our series thinking about the global church. Global is a blend word for local and global. We are both and. We are the church uh, equally passionate about right here, right now, and, and about all around God's earth and all people. And we're thinking as a, we set sail uh, as a congregation about what it means to be global partners. And we're going to be read, reading about that in Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 9 in just a moment. Right now, I invite us to bow our heads together for a moment of prayer. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, how we thank you that you have not only told us about going and doing, but you have modeled that by coming to earth in the flesh, in the person of your Son. And by your abiding Holy Spirit's presence after the risen Christ ascended to your right hand. And so we bless you and praise you. We bring before you our praise, our petitions and needs, our confession of sin, our need for life to be different than it's been. We pray today for those living in brokenness and pain and struggle of all kinds. Jesus called the Holy Spirit comforter and friend. May we find that true and may each of those who are suffering find that true. We pray today in a world grown more dangerous that you might protect all of those who are serving in the armed forces and bless their families while they're separated. And we pray for leaders of nations, for our president and for others who work for peace and justice. God, we invite you to rummage around in our hearts and by your Holy Spirit to work. We give you permission to come into our church and it's really your church and come into our lives, really your lives, and to work among us. You have called us to put your word into action, to bring alive your covenant promises so that people everywhere may know you. Guide us to the, to the heart of this scripture lesson this morning Guide us to the heart of obedience and give us listening ears. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to read these aloud and invite you to listen prayerfully and silently. And if you're able, please stand as we share God's word and as God's word comes among us. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus of Nazareth 
was a global thinker. He was a global strategist. As far as we know, Jesus never left the confines of that region where he was born, a region approximately the size of New Jersey. And yet Jesus still impacts lives all over the globe today, 2,000 years later. Jesus was a global strategist and a global thinker, and because he was as concerned about the needs right in front of him, he was truly a global thinker and strategist because he was equally passionate about strategy to reach people up close and around the world. And really, to be global partners, we need to just take in this text this morning and realize that Jesus' strategy for impacting the world was deceptively simple, wasn't complicated at all. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, Jesus' strategy was grounded and is grounded in an inner spiritual experience. In other words, you can't share what you don't have. The plan of Jesus cannot be marketed by outsiders. The plan of Jesus can only be shared by people who have had and are having that deep inner spiritual experience with him. He comes to Matthew, a tax collector, one who was collecting revenue for the cruel uh, occupying Roman government, who'd no doubt been thinking mostly about himself. And somehow through interaction, Matthew gets up, leaves all of that behind and follows. It's a deeply inner experience. And I note a, a subtle comment as the Pharisees begin to criticize Jesus and the disciples when they're later sitting at meal with Matthew and some of his friends. The, the, the Pharisees ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with sinners? See, not their teacher, not, not my teacher, your teacher. For the Pharisees, religion was something removed from the immediate. It was cold, it was distant, it was secondhand. It was outward. It was mechanical. Jesus insisted on personal, immediate, inner transformation. The Christian faith, if you don't know it yet, is an inside job. Jesus Christ comes to live on the inside. He changes our desires. As the song so beautifully said, He's the King in whose law we delight. We don't, we don't obey Jesus because we're afraid or because we're trying to pry a blessing out of him. It's because he continually transforms our hearts from the inside and changes our want-tos. It's, it's deeply within that, and, and that is something that is at the foundation of global sharing. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, and, and you're sort of on the outside with... Uh, you know, your finger up to the side of your uh, face and sort of critically evaluating the Christian faith. Just remember, there are, there are some things about following Jesus that you can never understand until you come on the inside. If you're always the Pharisee standing on the outside talking about your teacher, there's never a personal relationship with Christ and there's never a connection that will help you understand all of the wonders of following Jesus. Jesus goes on and says, you know, 
the reason I'm here is because I want to help the sick. Those who are well don't need a physician. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I can't help you until you know you need me. I can't help you until you repent of your pride and acknowledge that only I can save you and rescue you. As long as we hang on to self-rescue, Jesus can never help us. And when we acknowledge that and repent and receive him, his mercy begins to work in our lives. And Jesus said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And when that mercy works in our lives and begins to bubble over, it's that overflow that allows us to share Jesus Christ with people here in the community and all around the world. And it's that bubble over of mercy that is the foundation for all global partnership, a personal relationship with Christ. Jesus' strategy, deceptively simple, it's grounded in deep, inner spiritual experience. Jesus' strategy, secondly, is carried out by personal relationships with one another. Did you notice in the scripture that immediately after Matthew starts following Jesus, the next scene, Matthew says, uh, Jesus sat at dinner with Matthew and others like him. In the house. Now, whose house? Jesus' house? Probably not. I doubt he owned a house. Matthew's house? Maybe. He was probably a person of financial means because tax collectors made some pretty good money. Uh, But it really doesn't matter whose house. The fact remains, Jesus liked to eat. That's how I know Jesus was Baptist. Uh, it's, It's somewhere in the Greek New Testament. I just haven't found it yet. He liked to eat, and Jesus conducted a lot of business over meals. Let's face it. And he's eating here because he knew that somehow meals have this mystical way of breaking down barriers, of creating warmth and hospitality and and bonding relationships. It's powerful what meals can do. And Jesus knew that the gospel was only going to be partnered through personal relationships. And so... Uh, I'm remembering this uh, interview uh, that uh, uh, a news person did once with a famous restaurant owner in New York City. And the restaurant owner said, you know, owning a restaurant and successfully running it is remembering one thing, that from the moment of birth, we have this instinctive craving to repeat that experience of birth. When we're born, we crave eye contact a smile, and something to eat. Think about it. When a baby's born, they crave that eye contact, that touch, that that smile, and then something to eat. And that's deeply embedded in the human life that that's always an act of hospitality that resonates deep within our hearts. Now, I know that in the, in the days and years to come, First Baptist Church needs to be very savvy with social media. I know that we need to do all we can to communicate in all of the ways of communicating. All of that is true. Having said that, the love of God is always communicated face-to-face 
and person to person. That's how the love of God eventually is transmitted to other people. And I love this quote by Ian Morgan Crone. Uh, If we spent less time worrying about how to share our faith with someone on an airplane and more time thinking about how to live radically generous lives, more people would start taking our message seriously. And he's right, isn't he? We always talk about that that one-stop witnessing opportunity, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we should probably focus more on how our lives are engaging others. I think about all the ways that our partnerships with Kenya and Ukraine and South Dakota and South School have all been cemented through meal experiences, relationship building, focusing on the ways that we can genuinely be generous and and connect with each other's lives. So the strategy, strategy of Jesus is deceptively simple. Jesus' strategy is grounded in this inner experience, and then it's moved forward through personal relationship. And here's the third thing. Jesus' strategy is always crossing boundaries. Jesus' strategy is always crossing barriers and moving to new people. Now, I want to ask you a question. Deep down, does it bother you just a little bit that Jesus is hanging out with sinners? See, Matthew, as a tax collector, was a traitor. He was a turncoat. He was no better than, than, uh, than, than a traitor you would read about in, in, in some American Revolution story because he was working against his own people. Roman government said... Collect all you want to, but you owe us this much. And, and there were other sinners there that were both ceremonially unclean and very socially unwanted. And here Jesus is. And, and by the way, the Greek says that he was reclining at table with them. He wasn't just stiffly, oh, well, I'm here, but I don't feel very comfortable. Jesus was literally laid back. He was, he was having a good time. How is it that Jesus was so comfortable with this, with this group of people? See, Jesus was always willing to cross barriers and boundaries. In fact, the early Christian movement, movement captured that so well that in the second century, Celsus, one of the earliest intellectual critics of the Christian faith, Celsus once said about the Christian movement, he said it will never amount to anything because it's made up of thieves, harlots, and people from every race. It will never amount to anything. Well, there you go. You have it. Christian faith never amounted to anything because it's made up of sinners and people of every race. And he spoke the truth, didn't he? And he didn't realize it. But I want to flip this around. I want us to to think not only about how Jesus crossed boundaries into the socially outcast, not only the poor, uh, the sick, the diseased, uh, the throwaways. I want us to remember what Matthew was socioeconomically. He was probably, by standards of that day, wealthy. 
He was probably, by standards of that day, very comfortable in his lifestyle. What's more, because he was a tax collector, he, could, he was probably one of the few people in the village who could read and write. It was an oral culture. And only key people, only upper class people could read and write. But being a tax collector, he had to keep books and he had to communicate. And he was probably very educated. I'm indebted to Dr. David May, who was with us a few years ago, did a study in the Gospel of Luke. And he reminded us that Jesus was not only reaching the down and out, Jesus was passionate about reaching the up and out. Jesus was very subversive in his strategy to spread Christianity globally. He thought, I'm going to reach the tax collectors. I'm going to reach the people working for Rome. I'm going to reach the educated, the people who can write, the people who can communicate well, the people who can have influence in their community, and the the gospel will spread more quickly. Do you see how Jesus was not simply crossing geographic boundaries? Remember, he probably never left that region the size of New Jersey. And yet he continues to impact the world globally because he thought in new categories about a strategic sharing of the gospel with the up and out. So Jesus is always telling us not only to go into the world geographically, but Jesus is also telling us to go into the worlds, plural, into the worlds of artists. And by that I mean performing arts, visual arts, musical arts. To go into the worlds of of authors and poets to the worlds of farmers and CEOs, to the worlds of millennials and bikers and hikers and the tattooed and the pierced and the doubters. And I could go on and on and on. I finally just decided to stop there and would trust you to understand that this is a suggestive list, not an exhaustive list. That we are to be people going in to all kinds of worlds with the good news of Jesus Christ as Jesus went into all kinds of worlds without ever leaving home. We do a little thing here in the church office. Some of you, I hope, have noticed that we try to read the News Tribune daily. And when uh, we read about some, somebody in our church doing something of significance in the community, a picture or a story or a caption... We try to cut that out and put it on the bulletin board just outside the office to celebrate the fact that our people are involved in the community making a difference and having an impact. And I want you to know, as I keep track, and by the way, we don't always catch everything, and my apologies if we missed the article about you, okay? I can just see you at the door in just a few minutes like, sorry. But one of the things I've noticed is that there's hardly a week goes by that there's not something in the local newspaper about some of us. And I'm not bragging. I'm not being arrogant or elitist. But I am, I am sharing from my heart this morning that God has placed many of our congregation in places of influence, in places of power, in places of significance, calling us all to take the good news of Jesus into our various worlds, to impact our community, 
to impact our world for Jesus Christ in whatever niche, in whatever sphere of influence God has placed us. You know, there was a Harvard study several years ago, and they discovered that people who become involved in significant humanitarian work have somewhere along the line had a significant encounter with someone outside their circle, someone who challenged them and broadened their worldview, someone who gave them a fresh perspective, who helped them see things they'd never seen before, and to, uh, someone to, to broaden their boundaries. They almost always had someone from the outside who came and, and stimulated them to see the world differently. That's exactly what Jesus is doing in this story. It's exactly what Jesus is doing in the Gospels. And it's precisely what Jesus is doing in our church and in our community as we set sail. As we, we get the blinders off and we see the world differently and we see the world in a fresh way and we see what's possible right in front of us and it's a simple strategy just go where Jesus goes and do what Jesus did simple let's pray loving God we thank you for mercy for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our lives and upon our church and on our world. We pray that we will take that spillover mercy to become global partners. Open our hearts this morning to the fresh gospel word that we each need to hear. Amen.